You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. When was the last time you took a risk? When was the last time you took a risk? It might have been a small risk. You know, we think, I know I'm running, I know I'm running the risk of getting a ticket if I don't pay for this parking spot, but I'm just going to run into this restaurant real quick. Or we think, I know I'm running the risk of having too much sugar in my body and having a bad night's sleep, but I'm just going to crush this bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream. These are hypothetical scenarios, of course, not from my personal life. But the point is clear, we take risks. We have to in life. Uh, We talked about small risks, but sometimes we take big ones. A certain medical treatment that may bring about healing or it may bring about terrible side effects. A hard conversation that may bring about reconciliation. Or it may bring about a further damaged relationship. Maybe coming to church today felt like a risk. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who regularly gather here and do so really without a second thought, I hope we keep in mind that for some folks, given all that they've gone through in life, given some really bad experiences, it took all their courage just to come here today. You might be here thinking, I know in coming to church today, I'm running the risk of opening myself up to God's people and being hurt, but I'm going to try, church. And if that's you, if church feels risky, I just want you to know you're welcome here. Whether you believe in God a different God or no God, thank you for joining us today. While it's true that everyone in this room may not understand themselves to be religious, the fact is we all take risks and risk requires faith. It requires some belief that things will go our way. That's why we take the risk. That's why we're willing to step out, to try, why we are willing to eat that ice cream. Amen? In hopes that things will go our way. Friends, the more we understand any given risk, the more we can make an informed and accurate and confident decision regarding it. And I bring all of this up because Jesus today is making a call on your life. There is a risk, it seems, in answering that call. We should understand this because following Jesus can feel risky, right? It can feel like a big risk. 
And we can wonder, is this worth it? Is he worth it? Is he worth all this pain, all this confusion, all this temptation? Was following him just a big bait and switch? You know, I didn't realize that following Jesus meant all this for my life. And my prayer, beloved, is that you'd leave today not only understanding more accurately what it looks like to follow Jesus, but that you'd also believe that Jesus is the best. And following him is the best decision you could ever make. Turn to Mark 1. Mark chapter 1. It's on page 785 of those pew Bibles. This fall, we've begun walking through Mark's gospel, a short and speedy biography written to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Last week, we saw he is the king who proclaims the message that the time is fulfilled, that the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel. The good news that centers on him, the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ. Beloved, last week in our passage, we saw the call to faith, to believe in Jesus. This week, we see the call to follow Jesus. Let's hear it together. Mark chapter one, verses 16 through 20. If you're new to looking at the Bible, the big numbers of the chapter, the little numbers are the verses. Mark chapter one, starting in verse 16. Hear now the word of God. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw. Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further. Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, we're going to ask two simple questions to understand what following Jesus means and why we should follow Jesus. Here's question number one. What will Jesus change in your life? What will Jesus change in your life? Answer. Everything. What will Jesus change in your life? Answer everything. Friends, Jesus will turn your entire world upside down. You should follow him today. Let's look at our passage again. Verse 16, look with me. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw. Like Danny prayed, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, verse 19. He saw James and John. Friends, Jesus notices. 
He is on the lookout. He is not blind. He is not passive. He is not too busy. He takes time to observe Simon and Andrew and James and John and you. Beloved, the first line of our text reminds us, it reminds you that you don't find Jesus. Jesus finds you. He looks for you. He sees you. And Jesus, seeing Simon, Andrew, James, and John, is also a reminder that his ministry is personal. It's about people. Last week, we talked about a message, right? The good news. This week, we see that good news is for people. Real people. Beloved, Jesus saw real people. He catches them as they're going about their work. Even how verse 16 starts is so unassuming. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, going about his day, his way, Jesus sees people going about their day, going about their way and Jesus moves toward them as one scholar said it is in their world that discipleship begins when Jesus as God's son initiates human fellowship the encounter takes place not on his ground or even on the holy ground of the synagogue or temple but on their ground in the working world of boats and nets and labor from dawn to dusk Friend, let this be a reminder that Jesus sees you. Even as you go about mundane, everyday tasks, he sees you. And he is not turned off by you. As one pastor said, you don't have to pretend with Jesus. It's not the impressive version of you that he loves. It's not the impressive version of you that he's looking for. Friends, on one level, this is a very plain passage. Jesus calls for disciples. So Jesus' ministry is beginning. He's begun preaching. Soon he'll begin miraculous healings. And Jesus' crew of followers is forming, right? It's pretty straightforward. Reminds me of when we were in Numbers earlier this year and we talked about the censuses we saw and we realized, yeah, a nation is coming together and so they're recording who's there, like most nations do. Uh, Listing the names made sense because a nation was being formed, a people was coming together. But ah, on on a deeper level, there it is. Jesus is forming a people around himself. A new nation, a holy nation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood is being formed. Do you see, friends, in this passage, God's new covenant people are being formed, birthed. The church, in some sense, is starting. It's an embryo, but make no mistake, it's living. 
beloved. What we're seeing is the fruit of the gospel, the cycle of the gospel. So last week we saw the gospel proclaimed, and this week we see people coming together around Jesus. This is what happens. I wish I could make it plain like the rain cycle. Gospel proclamation leads to people formation, people coming together. And the cycle continues today. Every week here at ICC, the gospel message is preached and the gospel people come in together in fellowship, a fellowship centered around one person, Jesus. A fellowship built on the foundation of the apostles. That's what these four disciples here and eight others we meet later would become to support the household of God. Friends, there's a reason they call it being born again. It's because you're born into a new family. This is the cycle, beloved. Jesus' word has gone out and he's gathering up his followers, his family. Real people. I love the flesh and boneness of the gospels. Christianity isn't some abstract philosophy class. It's about relationship, friendship, friends. Peter, James, and John would go on to become Jesus' dearest friends. His inner circle, we'll see this throughout Mark, but right now we're with Jesus who has seen these fishermen and He calls them. Verse 17, look with me. Jesus said to them, follow me. Follow me. Come behind me. His call centers on his person himself. Did you notice this? Jesus doesn't say, follow this school of thought or follow your heart, but follow me. That's what he tells these fishermen and he goes on to make them a promise. He says, verse 17, look with me, I will make you become fishers of men. When Jesus says fishers of men, that word for men refers to both men and women. These disciples' job would no longer be, friends, to catch fish, but to catch people to bring real women and men into this kingdom Jesus preached about last week. Jesus' followers would carry a message of salvation to Israel and then to the nations, and you know what? Carrying the message of salvation was not just their job. Friends, every disciple is to be a fisher of people. This doesn't mean you have to quit your job necessarily and become a missionary, though some of y'all may decide to do that. To be clear, there are general principles we're gleaning from this text, but there are unique things going on here. Uh, Jesus here calls these men out of one profession into another, but Jesus doesn't always work that way. In fact, I'd say normally he calls us right where we are and has us stay in the place we are. So this doesn't necessarily mean Jesus is calling you to quit your job. Throughout Acts and Jesus' life, there's lots of people who have lots of different jobs who follow Jesus. But the point is, everyone who follows Jesus should help other people follow him. Every disciple makes disciples. 
This might be your kids. It might be your friends. It might be your coworkers, your neighbors, whoever it is, sisters and brothers. Know this, a basic part of being a Christian is helping other people follow Jesus. A basic part of following Jesus is helping other people follow Jesus. If you have questions about what helping people follow Jesus looks like, we'll have lots of opportunity to talk about evangelism and discipling throughout Mark. And uh, because a couple of you asked, I have a few more copies of my little book on evangelism. Uh, for those of us who feel like crummy evangelists, lousy evangelists, you can get them for free at that door right there after the service while supplies last. But sisters and brothers, let me ask you, who in your life are you pointing to Jesus? Who in your life are you pointing to Jesus? It'd be a good thing to talk about in community groups this week. For now, friends, notice that Jesus comes up in these disciples' lives and he changes everything. The center of their lives is no longer themselves, but Jesus, follow me. The work of their lives is no longer their nine to five, but God's work of bringing others to himself. The trajectory of their lives is no longer following their own way, but that of Jesus, beloved Jesus, changes everything. He transforms these men into something else. Even if Jesus doesn't change the place where you're employed, he changes you as an employee. You're no longer a banker. You're a Christian banker. And that makes all the difference. Jesus changes everything. Simon literally gets a new name. Jesus calls him Peter in chapter three, so this is Peter. And while we're talking names, James here is not the James who wrote the book of James. We studied a few weeks ago. This is a different James. Lots of people in the Bible named James. Anyway, the point is not the names, but that Jesus changes everything. He doesn't do that right away though. Did you notice in verse 17, he says, I will make you become fishers of men. The process of becoming a follower of Christ is slow and painful. And yet it is no less real. Jesus called real he changed their life. I love this. Jesus just comes up in their life in the middle of their work day and interrupts, just butts in. Beloved, Jesus is not on your schedule. Someone needs to hear that today. Jesus is not on your schedule. Stop acting like he should be. As they say in the black church, God may not show up when you want him to, but he's always on time. And on his time and on his authority, he changes these men's lives. You should follow Jesus because he is the one with all authority. Friends, as God's son, Jesus has the authority and the power to change someone's life. After all, did you notice Jesus didn't ask these men to follow him? Why not? Because kings don't ask. They summon. 
And these fishermen obeyed because that's what servants do. But without much information, these fishermen obeyed. Friends, you should follow Jesus because he's the one with all authority. You should also follow Jesus because his call is enough. Beloved, these four guys, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, didn't have any idea of what was in store for their lives when Jesus called them. They didn't have a brochure that said, as a new follower of Jesus, you will get to experience walking on water, feeding 5,000, your leader being murdered. Simon, now Peter, you'll deny him three times. There's Pentecost persecution, but you will also be able to do some cool, some cool miracles with no money down. Friends, these four guys didn't know any of that, and yet they followed Jesus. We're talking about simple faith today. Simple faith is following faith. See, some of you want to know all the answers right now. You want to know why everything that's happening in your life is happening. And you think, then I'll trust God. When I know everything. But what? The first four disciples show us is that trusting God means following God when we don't know everything. But what the first four disciples show us is that Jesus' call is enough for our feet to get moving on his path. What these first four disciples show us is that Jesus is trustworthy in of himself and that he doesn't have to explain or defend himself. And so hear me squarely, sisters, brothers, kids, friends. We follow Jesus, not because he gives us all the answers, but because he gives us something even better himself. Follow me. Jesus was offering these fishermen not stuff, not a list of benefits, but himself. An infinite amount of blessing squeezed into two words, follow me, that is the call to everyone here. To follow this one who is in charge, sufficient, trustworthy, in a word, irresistible. He is valuable above all else. And his value is the second aspect of following Jesus that we're going to think about next. Our first question was, what will change? What will Jesus change in your life? The answer, everything. Our second question is, what should hold you back from following Jesus with your life? With your whole self? Question number two, what should hold you back from following Jesus? The answer, nothing. Nothing. Friends, Jesus is worth giving your entire world for. You should follow him today. That's what our four friends did, right? King Jesus summons them saying, follow me. And there's a big risk in this, right? What if this guy is a lunatic? What if my business fails if I leave it for him? James, son of Zebedee, what if I don't see my father again? There's risk involved, and yet what do these disciples do? Jesus called them, verse 18, look with me, immediately. They left their nets, 
and followed him. Verse 20, James and John left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired service and followed Jesus. Friends, these men take the risk on. No hedging bets. No one foot in and one foot out. No, they put all their eggs in the one Jesus basket. And this teaches us a great deal about the worth and the value of Jesus. After all, who leaves something good for something worse? Right? We don't do that. We might leave something good for something better, but who leaves something good for something worse? Only dummies do that. And these fishermen were no dummies. I think it's a common misconception to assume the disciples were a bunch of broke idiots. They were definitely idiots at times, but they weren't all broke. Even the fishermen, you have to realize in that day, people ate fish more than they ate meat. Fish sticks, not burgers, were the staple of the Greco-Roman world. And the Sea of Galilee up in verse 16, where these four fishermen worked, oh, business was booming there. There were 16 ports on this sea. As one commentator said, that fishermen in Galilee competed in the larger Mediterranean market testifies to their skill, prosperity, and ingenuity, and probably to their command of Greek, which was the international language of business and culture. Even from the text, beloved, did you notice this detail in verse 20 that James and John left hired servants in their boat? boat, their boat wasn't this little thing with three guys on it. No, it was a legitimate, prospering asset. And they left it. Leaving your job often means leaving security and stability, and they left it. They left family. Friends, as we've been talking about, Mark's gospel is scarce on details. So it's striking that he includes in verse 20 this note that James left Zebedee, his father. Beloved, these men left their place at least for a time. The Sea of Galilee wasn't this muddy, ugly bank. It was gorgeous. Picturesque. Seven miles wide, 13 miles long, mountains on the east side of it. Megan and I went down to uh, Fairhope a few months ago, and we're like, wow, this is pretty. And friends, these disciples left their pretty place, their stable job, their families for something, someone better. Jesus. Friends, sometimes Jesus will call you from the place you love, the family you love, to follow him. It's not that Jesus is against family or pretty places. He created and he gave us all these good gifts to enjoy, but we shall not enjoy these things more than we enjoy him. 
We shall not trust these things or give allegiance to them more than we do him. What is the first commandment? We heard it last night at the United We Pray event. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. What? Y'all thought idols were pieces of metal and wood. Friends, good things can become idols when we make them ultimate things. But Mark is telling us that Jesus is the ultimate thing. He has the value in of himself to make this call on your life to say, I am better than anything in your life. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, again, this text can be confusing because we can wonder, is Jesus calling me to leave my family? And friends, we're given this example not so we necessarily leave our families, but so that we can understand the worth of Jesus. Now, when it comes to leaving things or people, let me give you one category, though, that's applicable to all Christians. How do you know you're called to leave something? If it's causing you to sin, leave it. Sisters, brothers, are you letting something or someone get in the way of you following Jesus? Are you dating someone who is unhelpful to you following Jesus? Are you working a job that makes it really, 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 really hard to faithfully follow Jesus? Friends, as one pastor said, there is nothing worth keeping if it is keeping us from Jesus. Or let me quote someone else. She's our new church administrator. Elle McClinton said this. Uh, when the staff was praying through this text at our staff meeting this past week, Elle prayed, God, just as these men dropped their nets, your gospel is worth dropping everything for. The writer of Hebrews would say it like this, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, so close, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Beloved, do you believe that Jesus is worth dropping everything for? That's what these first four disciples did. They left and followed. It's interesting. Some scholars believe the words left and followed correspond to those words we heard last week, repent and believe. The disciples left, they turned from something and followed. They turned to God, this God man they trusted. Repent and believe, leave and follow. Friends, these disciples left everything so that like Enoch, they could walk with God. Again, Christianity isn't some abstract thing, but a real call that causes people to make real sacrifices. Do you see, beloved, in losing their place, by losing their work, by losing their family, by losing their lives in some sense, these disciples found their lives. That is the wisdom of the kingdom. Whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. And this should convict us. Because some of us need to confess, friends, that we really aren't all that interested 
in following Jesus if it means giving up what we hold most dear. Some of us need to confess, we really aren't interested in making disciples as interested in that as we are in making money, in making friends. But beloved, following Jesus may cost us our greatest dreams, our deepest desires, our lives. Friends, the ministry Jesus calls us to, loving people, being fishers of men, it's not easy, it's costly. It takes time, thought, money, effort. Parents, if Jesus calls your kids to himself, God willing, following him will not be easy for them or for you. But we often think of the cost of discipleship from the perspective of the one leaving something behind, but sometimes you're the person who's left behind. Right? Put yourself in Zebedee's shoes there in verse 20 as he watches James go. His boy. Parents, some of us will have to watch our kids go and follow Jesus to places we never thought he'd call them. We have so many young families in this church, and I praise God for that. But please remember, beloved young parents, that your children are not yours. They're God's. He will lead them where he wants. And if the call of Jesus is sounding heavy, sounding weighty, sounding risky, sounding expensive, then you, my friend, are hearing it right. But watch this. Jesus is not calling you to give anything he did not himself first give, including his own life. You see, Jesus would call his disciples to work, no doubt. But his unique work, Jesus' unique work, would be the decisive work that would change everything, including the people who follow him. Friends, what was Jesus' work? If you keep reading Mark, you'll see that Jesus wouldn't just see his people. He wouldn't just call his people. He wouldn't just lead his people. He would serve his people and serve them unto death. Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, Jesus lived perfectly, but you haven't. You have sinned against God rebelled against his rule, and the penalty for your sin is death and hell. But Jesus came and died the death you deserved. He was betrayed, denied by Peter here. Did you realize in our text, Jesus is calling the very man who would deny him three times before the rooster crowed? Talk about risk. Jesus took on all the risk all the danger so that you could stand before God danger-free. He died in the place of all those who would turn from their sin and trust in him. Do that today. You should turn, repent, and believe. Leave and follow. You want to know why? Because though Jesus took on the risk unto death, he did not stay dead. 
No, he was raised three days later. The resurrection proves that the risk Jesus took was worth it. And so now Jesus calls you, my friend, to take up your own risk, to repent and believe, to be willing to leave everything and follow him. How will you answer his call on your life? I know it seems costly. That's because it is. But hear the promise from Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Flip over to Mark chapter 10. I don't want you to just hear these promises. I want you to read them. Mark 10 verse 29. The context is Jesus has told a rich young man to leave that which he loves most, money, and follow him. Jesus doesn't have a problem with someone having a lot of money. He has a problem with someone having a lot of love for money. Anyway, Mark 10, 22 says the rich young man was disheartened by what Jesus said. In verse 22, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. It seems impossible to answer Jesus' call, right? That's what Jesus' disciples said upon witnessing this exchange with the rich young man. Mark 10, 26, look with me. The disciples were exceedingly astonished and said to Jesus in light of this exchange with the rich young man, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. You better believe Peter had in mind the day Jesus first called him. And Jesus said, verse 29, truly I say to you, there is no one, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Sisters, brothers, what Jesus is promising you is sisters and brothers. If you leave family for Jesus, he will not leave you without a family, but bring you into your new family, the church of God. You leave your house for Jesus, Jesus will not leave you homeless. No, the household of God will have your back. Friends, we can't follow Jesus without the church. Notice Jesus didn't call one disciple, but a group of them, a fellowship, because he would work through them to take care of one another. And so I praise God for you, ICC, as a disciple who has left his home, his place, his family, his mother, because you all have been for me. Mothers. Brothers. Sisters. You thought James, son of Zebedee, lost his father in the text, beloved. He was not without his heavenly father. I'm going to finish this sermon. Here's the point of it. Jesus will change everything in your life, and he is better than anything in your life. When I say Jesus will change everything, don't mistake me for saying he'll make everything easier. Jesus will make everything better, but better does not mean easier. Easier. 
at least not right away. Following Jesus is not worth it. It's is not easy, but it is worth it. Please hear that. Who is Jesus? He is the one who is worth it. And believing this, understanding who Jesus is will change how you respond to his call on your life. And make no mistake, he is calling you. There is a risk in answering the call, no doubt. Jesus said in those promises for family that we just read that following him will come with persecutions. So there is risk, but when we know who Jesus is, we see that heeding his call is not just the wisest and the best thing we can do, it's actually the safest. But that is for another sermon. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd give us grace to follow Jesus who is our life in his name.